Good morning, church family. My name's Brian Hoover, father of Carly Hoover. Um, just a quick update, uh, we did get to hear from her this morning at five o'clock. They landed in La Paz and most of them have altitude sickness. So um, be praying for that uh, because they're in the highest city in the world right now. So um, but grateful that she's on that. But let's turn to scripture. We're gonna be looking in Titus chapter two. If you are using the Pew Bible, that's on page 238 or you can follow along on the screens as well. So we'll be in Titus chapter 2, starting in verse 11, and we'll read through chapter 3, verse 8. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us all from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want, oops, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. This is God's word. Praise to him. Well, good morning. It has been such a pleasure to meet many of you over the last uh, few days uh, in the different ice cream socials and different meetings that we've been a part of. And uh, it's, it, it really is uh, nice. Now, someone, I think, joked before the service that we're, you're, you're going to quiz me on the names. Please don't do that. Uh, I will fail miserably, but uh, it, is, it is good to be here, and it has been a long process, but the Lord is Lord's in it, uh, and he's, he's guiding us, and, and if it is the, the, the Lord's will, uh, we will be flying back to Milan uh, tomorrow, uh, we'll have to you know, put our house on, up for sale and you know, kind of begin to close up some different things, and, and ministry keeps going forward there as well. Now, we have a big evangelistic event planned later later this month and that, that we're working on and planning so you can be in prayer about those things that uh, the, the Lord will, would be honored and glorified even in the, the, the transition uh, that, is, that, we're, that we are walking through as a family. And so, again, I heard so much about how there is a community feel to community uh, church. So, and I can say that's true. You guys have just really welcomed us. And uh, so thank you so much for that. You've just made us feel a part of the family. And I hope to be able to even meet more of you uh, today uh, as well, maybe after the service between services and uh, at, the, at the business meeting uh, later today. So 
Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we come to this moment, we, we really do want to bow our hearts to you and ask that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. Would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would we be open to receive what you want to do in us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Obviously, there's a, a lot going on in this passage that we could take time to dwell on, to, to, to talk about, but that we're not. And then this morning, really what I want us to focus on is, is just to consider this, this dynamic that, that, that we see, I think, taking place in this passage, but this dynamic between God's grace on the one hand and, and our good works on the other. I mean, how, how do those things relate? Are, are they even a, a, opposed to one another? Do they go together? I mean, how, how do we think through that? And, and, and what would Paul want us to, to really understand in, from this passage about how grace and good works relate to one another? And so let me just jump right away to an example, uh, just kind of a real-life example, to kind of just show how I think this does pop up in, in our lives on a, on a daily basis. And so about a month ago, uh, I asked the family that we were working with right now, currently in a, in a new church plant, to, to start praying and, and, and looking for someone to be able to take our place, uh, my, my, my wife's place, so that this project, this church planting project, can continue and go forward. We're seeing some fruit. We're seeing some good, good things that the Lord is doing, and we want to see that continue into the long term. And uh, so, I, so I, I said, let's, let's work on that. Let's, let's ask the Lord to, to do that. And the Sunday before leaving to come here, I I kind of proudly told them, I said, hey, I got a, I got a meeting this Tuesday. I'm going to meet with another missionary who, who might be able to, to help us out and, and kind of keep this project going. Don't know what I was really expecting. Maybe a pat on the back, a bravo, Ron. I, I don't know. But I, I, what I was faced with was what amounts to a rebuke. Uh, like, Ron, why, why are you doing that? Tranquilo, tranquilo. Just don't, don't worry. Don't be, don't, be, uh, don't be so anxious about it. God's going to provide somebody. So it's like, hmm, what do, what do I do with that? So, so you see this dynamic, right? I mean, on the one hand, there's God's grace. God's going to provide. God's going to raise up the right person. And on, on, on their part, and then on my part, I got the my good works. You know, I'm, I'm going to go out. I'm going to beat the bushes. I'm going to call people. I'm going to text people. I'm going to try to find someone to carry this good work forward. So who's right? Who's right? You, you can think about that. And, and as we work through this text, uh, you can kind of come to some conclusions. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about it maybe towards the end. And so if you don't know anything about Titus, this, this is a, a letter that Paul wrote to Titus. And he had a very specific instruction for him. He said, I want you to put in order the churches that are there in Crete. And so this, this included things such as appointing elders in, in the various churches. He wanted to make sure that Titus was going to teach sound doctrine. He also wanted to make sure that Titus was going to silence those who taught a false doctrine. And that was very important for him. But he just really wanted Titus to be, to be sure that he was teaching the people how to live their lives in Christ on a daily basis. And so with that in mind, we, we come to chapter 2. And in the first part of chapter 2, we didn't read these verses, but in, in the first part of chapter 2, 
Paul just goes through these categories of people. He talks about the, uh, the old men, the young men, the, the old women, the, the, the young women, uh, even slaves. How are they to live their lives? And he tells Titus, hey, I want you to teach them what accords with sound doctrine. Now, immediately what I would start thinking about personally is just, okay, well, I need to get my systematic theology book off the shelf. I need to, you know, come up with my, uh, a, a class on the justification by faith or the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, and this is what I'm going to do. But as you read through that, Paul really, you know, spells out what he wants Titus to talk about, talk to them about. And, and it's, it's just stuff that's extremely practical. It's, it's being self-controlled. It's, it's being sober-minded. It's being reverent. He wants Titus to teach him to not slander other people, just to, just to be people of integrity. And so then we come to the second part of this chapter in verse 11, where, what Brian read for us this morning. And he, and he starts off with this little small word, for. Very important word. Small word, but, but important, because Paul's going to go on to explain to Titus why it is important that he teach all these people the, these things. He's going to lay a foundation, if you will, of how they can develop those things in their life, how they can you know, come to be self-controlled and sober and, and not slander other people. If that's going to be a reality, he wanted them to understand that their, uh, their, their lives must be built on grace. It is the grace of God that's going to make that possible, and only the grace of God. Now today, I suppose if you want to think about the, the, the big idea, what I want us to see in this passage is that grace is not opposed to good works. Grace is not opposed to good works. You, know, you might say, well, wait a minute, that's not what I've been told, It's not how I've been taught, I've been taught that we can't save ourselves, that we can't do any good works, enough good works to, to work our way into heaven, to, to earn God's favor, and, and to that I would say, you're right, yes, amen, absolutely, there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves, but still remains the fact that grace is not opposed to good works. So, so let that tension maybe sit with you for, for a few minutes. And, um, and let's see how Paul kind of resolves this issue. And, and typically, when we think about God's grace, we, we think about what he has done to save us. And certainly that aspect is abundantly clear in this passage. I mean, just listen to the music of the gospel that reverberates through these verses. Right off the bat in chapter 2, he says that the grace of God has appeared. And, he, and he's thinking about that specific moment in time when he sent his, God sent his son into the world on a mission. That mission to seek and to save the lost. The king of kings entered into the world that he created. And this appearance of Jesus onto the world scene is unlike any appearance of anyone who has ever walked the face of the earth before him or after him. And Paul, Paul says as much. 
In verse 13, right at the very end of verse 13, he says, Our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no other way to interpret that verse other than Paul is saying, Jesus is God. This appearance was God himself. It's a unique appearance. It's a one-of-a-kind appearance. And what did he do when he appeared? He says in chapter 3, he, he saved us. He saved us. He redeemed us from lawlessness. He did it. And Paul makes it clear in in, in verse 5 of chapter 3 that this salvation was brought about by the grace of God and and not in any way, shape, or form by our works. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Instead, God being rich in mercy washes us by the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And because our salvation is brought about by God, we are heirs. We are heirs of eternal life. We are waiting upon eternal life that when Jesus, our God and our Savior, makes his second appearing, we will inherit this eternal life and live forever with him. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to come to Jesus in faith. You need just to quit your strivings. You need just to quit trying to do enough good works to to earn God's favor, to just have that feeling of I'm good enough for God. You need to lay all that aside and come to Him in faith. Just ask Him to forgive your sins, turn from your sins, turn to the living God, place your faith in Him. It's only by grace through faith that we can be saved. That's it. So if that's you this morning, I encourage you in that. Place your faith in him. Talk, talk to one of the pastors. Talk to me. Talk, talk to the person maybe you came with. It's really important. Now, if I asked you to describe God's grace... I'm sure that most of you would describe it in those terms. I mean, we're talking about the gospel. It's it's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. How glorious is that? And in this sense, when we're speaking about salvation, grace is opposed to good works. But Paul goes on, and he, he he wants to expand our understanding of grace. God's grace does not stop at salvation. It flows right through to our daily walk. It flows right through to our sanctification. To that that process of just being made into the image of Christ. God's grace is present. We're not going to grow any other way. We're not going to grow outside of His grace. And so what we see in verse 12 of chapter 2 is that grace is present to train us in two ways. It trains us to do two things. And then the first thing that grace trains us in is to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. 
And renounce is a pretty strong word. It's, we're to deny it. We're to get rid of all those things that pull us away from doing God's will. Renounce it. Deny it. You know, Paul even talks about this in Colossians when he, he, he says that you need to put to death the worldly passions. Put it, kill it. Get rid of it. Kill sin. The, the 17th century theologian John Owen in his classic, The Mortification of Sin, had this little line says, Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So which side of the equation do we want to be on? Let's renounce it. Let's kill it. Let's take sin seriously. Let's don't get comfortable and cutesy with sin. Grace is present in our lives, training us to renounce worldly passions and ungodliness. And the second lesson that we see here, that grace is, is training us in, is how to live in the present age. And when we're talking about living life in the real world with, with the problems and the issues that each of us face on a daily basis. How, how do we live? And, and there's three, three things that Paul points out here of, of how we need to live. And he said that, you know, the first one is we need to be self-controlled. Self-controlled. Thanks, Paul, for starting easy. By the way, this, this is the fifth time in the short letter that Paul says that we need to be self-controlled. He says, you know, the elders in chapter 1 need, the, the, the old men, the young men, the old women, the old... We, we all need to be self-controlled. It seems to be pretty important. We, 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 we need to avoid these extreme, rash behaviors. We need to live moderate lives, not giving in to excesses. And of course, inherent in, in living a self-controlled uh, life is, is denying those worldly passions, isn't it? But not only are we to live a self-controlled life, but we're also to live in an, in an upright manner. We're to live in a way that it, that's right morally and ethically. Be people of integrity. And finally, he says, we need to live in a, in a way that's godly. We need to... In a, in a way that just manifests our devotedness to God, that shows the reverence and respect that we have for our God. Now, if you're anything like me, you, you read through a passage like that and says, Grace is training us to do these things, to, to, to renounce worldly passions and, and, and ungodliness and to live in a self-controlled and upright and godly life. And you think, well, by golly, I can do it. That, that, that spirit, that I can do it spirit just kind of kicks in. And think, well, I'll, you know, I'll come up with my to-do list and, or not to-do list and, and start planning out this and that and whatever. And I, I can do this. But I don't, I don't think that's really Paul's point. I don't think he wants us to have that reaction of, I, I can do it. I think he wants really to have the reaction of, I, I, I can't. I can't do this. How, how can I do this? We need to go to our knees and say, God, I, I can't do this. You're calling me to do this. I, I can't. I need your help. I need your grace. As I, as I was reading through this, I, I thought of Nehemiah. 
in the Old Testament. And Nehemiah gets, gets word that Jerusalem is a, you know, just in desolation. It's destroyed. It's just, it's just not, it doesn't have the glory that it used to have. And, and he's just crushed. He's crushed. And, and, and the Bible tells us that he spent days fasting and praying about this situation. And then God, we, we know the rest of the story, God used him in mighty ways to bring restoration to the city and, and bring the people before God. But that's, that needs to be our first reaction. Lord, I need you. Please help me. Watch out for that I can do it spirit. It can get us in trouble. But having said that, we've got to be, be aware of the, of the opposite danger too. What one theologian calls cheap grace. Just, just this idea of, well, you know, God, God's just going to do it all. I don't, I don't need to, to, to do anything. But you, you just emphasize grace to the extent that we strip away all human responsibility. We, we strip away the need for, for good works. Just let go and let God. No, God's word says that grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And so this is where we come back around to this idea that grace is not opposed to good works. In fact, five times in two chapters, Paul mentions good works in a very positive manner. Chapter 2, verse 7, Titus is to be a model of good works. Chapter 2, verse 14, the people of Christ are to be zealous for good works. Chapter 3, verse 1, Titus is to remind the church to be ready for every good work. Chapter 3, verse 8, those who believe in God are to be careful to devote themselves to good works. And finally, in chapter 3, verse 14, the people need to learn to devote themselves to good works. Model of good works, zealous for good works, ready for good works, devoted to good works. You know, I, I think it's very unfortunate that oftentimes when we start talking about grace and, and good works, we, we, just, we drive a wedge down between them as if they are just on polar opposites. Or, or maybe we even had this idea that, well, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let God do his part. I'll wait patiently, and when he's done, I'll, I'll get in there and do my part. And I think what we see in this passage is, no, it, it doesn't work that way. Grace and good works are inseparably linked. They go together. We need both of them working together. That grace that has saved us is the same grace that's going to grow us. It works all through our lives in conjunction with our good works. So how, how does this happen? How, how do grace and good works come together? And the Bible actually has a lot to say about this. We won't, obviously won't have time to go through this. But I, let, let's just think about the life of Paul for a minute. Since he, he wrote this letter to Titus, you know, we, we, we see in the book of Acts that he took several missionary journeys. He went around, he traveling from city to city, just very rigorous schedule. He, he went in and he preached in the synagogues. He went in and he preached in the open uh, uh, piazza, the, I guess we'd say town square in English. Um, but, but he goes there, he preaches there, he, he preaches everywhere. But not only that, we know also that he was beaten. He was stoned. He was whipped. He was left for dead. 
And in Colossians, Paul gives us a little open window into his motivation, what, what, what his goal in all that ministry was. And this is Colossians chapter 1, 28 through 29. I'll read it. You can turn there if you want, but I'll, I'll read it as well. He says, Him we proclaim, talking about Christ, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil. I love that word toil. It's, just, it's very, for me, just it gives the intensity, of the hard work that he was engaged in. He was rolling up his sleeves, just going after it. Teaching, preaching, warning, exhorting, encouraging. He's working hard to do it. And he had this, he had this objective. To present everyone mature in Christ. Now, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to work hard. And he toiled. That's what I'm doing. This, all this traveling that I'm doing, this is what it's about. This is why I'm working so hard. But he doesn't stop there. He continues. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me struggling with all god's energy that he powerfully works in me i think i mean if i was if i was to sit up here and say well my goal in, in ministry is to present everyone perfect in christ someone would rightly say well you can't do that that's a work of god and i think paul got it he understood that he couldn't do it all that uh, teaching and proclaiming and warning, he knew it had to have the power of the Holy Spirit behind it to move in people's lives. He understood that. He understood that he, what he was doing, this ministry he was engaged in, was possible only because God gave him everything that he needed. He gave him that energy. It, it's, it, it's almost like God calls us to obedience, he, he calls us to good works, and he gives us the obedience and good works to do. It's like a gift. Okay, maybe that doesn't really make sense, but my point is, he, he calls us to do something, and he says, I'm going to give you everything that you need in order to do it. And so that when we step out and take a step of faith to do good works, to obey, to follow the Lord where he, where he leads... We do it knowing he's, he's, he's going to give us what we need. We do it in total dependence upon him at all times. So, back to the, the situation that I talked about at the beginning. Who's right? My, my zeal to do the good works, to make the phone calls, to send the emails, or, or my dear friends who are saying, trust God, he'll, he'll, he'll provide. And, and I hope you can see that it's kind of a yes, both, right? They come together. They come together. I need to be on my knees in prayer that the Lord would raise somebody up to carry this church planting project forward. 
I need to be dependent upon him. Following him where he leads. I, and I need to beat the bushes. I need to send the emails. I need to make the phone calls. And you know what? God might provide someone that I haven't even talked to. He might do that. And that's okay. But as I step out, as I, as I go out, as I try to find someone that can, can re- take, take my place... I do it in dependence upon Him. Totally. And, you know, it, it was, you know, it, it, perhaps it's easy for me to kind of, I don't want to say put them down for, for the way they responded to me. It, it's tempting to. But it was something I needed to hear, too. Because it is so easy to get caught up into, I can do it. I'm going to make it happen. And I need to be reeled back. Wait. God's grace is going to go with you. Empower you to do it. Are you dependent upon God, Ron? Are you, are you, going, are you going to depend upon Him? I, I need to hear that. We, we cannot separate God's grace from our good works. And, and trying in our own strength to grow in Christ is going to end in failure. And, and, and just sitting back and doing nothing and trying to grow apart from good works is, is also going to end in failure. God has chosen to work through our obedience, to, to work through our good works to bring about our growth in Christ. And He just does that in such a way that we just recognize it, it, it comes from Him. It's him. He gets the glory. So where, where are you in all of this? Do, do you embrace how God's grace and good works are working together in your life? Or are you emphasizing one or the other? My, my hunch is, my hunch is, maybe I'm wrong, but my hunch is that perhaps we are together and that we emphasize the what I can do and, and, and on doing and if that's you, let, let, let's go back to the cross. Let's go back, bow before the foot of the cross and say, God, I, I need you on a daily basis. I need you. I can't do it. I can't do it be, uh, apart from you. But if you're on the other side, though, and, and you're just emphasizing grace too much, perhaps you've become idle, you've become lazy, remember this, what Paul says in this letter, you, you need to be devoted to good works, ready for good works, zealous for good works. And when you are, you're not annulling the grace of God in any way, shape, or form. God's getting more glory. We see his grace more clear than ever as we step out and we search and we try to follow him and we, we're so dependent upon him. God, give, us, give me everything I need to follow you. And that's a good place to be in. So this grace of God is appeared and it's training us. Training us to renounce the, the ungodliness and the worldly passions. And it's training us to walk in a way that it's self-controlled, upright, and godly. He'll do it. He'll do it in us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.
Would you just take a moment and just pray, just between you and the Lord. How might he be speaking to you through this passage, through Titus, through these words? Are you in a balanced place? Do you understand how grace and works are working together? Do you you need growth in one of those areas? Would you just come, take a minute just to pray, to ask him to help you, to give you his grace, make you zealous for good works? Lord, we need you. We need your grace to be at work powerfully in our lives so that we can obey you, we can do good works, and that the world might see and glorify you. They may come and know you. Your grace and our good works are working together to bring you honor, to exalt you, our great God and Savior. Jesus Christ. Amen.